0: You are listening to The Andrew Miller Show. This episode was recorded when the show had a different name. Same show otherwise. Anyway, enjoy. Moving forward, you're listening to Get Yours Today, Get Better Candidates, Get Better Government, Get Better Results. I'm your host, Andrew Miller, And we have a special guest this episode. You know I've interviewed many Green Party candidates before, but Cam Gordon is not only a Green Party candidate, but an elected official and is running for a fifth term representing the second ward of Minneapolis, Minnesota in the city council. As a council member, Cam Gordon is on over a half dozen committee assignments, and a dozen boards, commissions, and task forces. You can find out more about that at MinneapolisMN.gov. And as a candidate, Cam Gordon is endorsed by the Sierra Club, Minneapolis, Minnesota, sorry about that, Minnesota State Council, SEIU, that well-known labor union, Fifth Congressional District Green Party, and Our Revolution Twin Cities, along with many... Local advocates and community leaders, as well. We'll go over what it took to win, how to get things done once in office, and we'll even go into what it was like living and serving in Minneapolis in the wake of the murder of George Floyd when all eyes were on Minneapolis. Whether you live in the second ward of Minneapolis, or if you live anywhere else in America and wish to run for office outside the two major parties, or just need reassurance that your vote for a third party is not a wasted vote then this is the episode for you check it out uh, with us we have cam gordon who serves on the city council in minneapolis and is the only green party member of the council as of now so uh, thank you for being on the show
1: thank you for having me. Delighted to be here.
0: Definitely. So you've been in office going on 16 years, so you've had a lot of successful re-elections, obviously. But when you first ran, did you face any obstacles or uphill battles as someone who's not a Republican or Democrat? And if so, what were they and how did you overcome them?
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of a challenge at the beginning. I actually ran the first time for city council and lost. Um, and I remember when I was starting out talking to my some of my family members and saying, this might actually take two tries because there was uh, a, de- a re- relatively popular incumbent in office at the time. It ended up that in that race, the incumbent lost, but I narrowly lost to another challenger from the democratic party um, who served a term. But then I ran again because I, um, was prepared to, and I probably used the time between that race and the next one to stay involved and engaged in the community. Um, but it was also a very um, hard race to win. They, um, in Minneapolis, there isn't much of a, a Republican presence, but the um, Democrats known in Minnesota as the Democratic Farmer Labor Party are quite strong And I ran against an endorsed candidate and and there was a lot of competition for that uh, Democratic endorsement that year. And she ran a hard campaign, um, but I was able to win. I think it was by 108 votes. So it was a narrow victory. Wow. Um, And part of my challenge when I was running was to reassure folks a little bit, I guess. And also let them know that if I was elected, I would work hard to represent them. So there, there was, I think, concerns right away that, oh, this person has their own agenda. Um, this person's just trying to build an alternative party. Um, and and I admitted and was very open that I believed in multi-party democracy. I believed in the values of the Green Party. And I also think those are the values that you share with me. And then I would talk about what those values were. Uh, and that case so it was a hard campaign and there's probably more that i could talk about that i did to overcome that challenge Um, but i was able to do it
0: wow it sounds like you know once you're talking with people about the values that you share once people realize there's something in for for them you know that that's when they feel more comfortable you know supporting a party that's different than the usual that's in there and being the own. oh go on
1: well, it definitely helped. But I think a big thing was once I got here, I had to demonstrate that. So I think then there was, so I won very narrowly the first race. Um, and one of the things I would even say at the doors sometimes is um, I want the opportunity to prove to you that I can be an effective representative or something like that. Um, and there was this idea that I would get in office as the only, uh, or as a green, and turned out none of the other greens won that year and haven't since, so I was the only green. There was a fear that some had that I would just be in there being the opposition party person, disagreeing with everything everybody else said and calling them out on all sorts of stuff and um, not being effective at actually solving anything or delivering for my constituents and what they wanted to happen in that. So it was key once I got in to then prove that, no, nope, I can be an effective representative, I'll build with the coalitions I need to move forward with what I need to get done and to represent you all well.
0: And Excellent. I actually
1: ha- had a plan when I first got in to try to reach out to each one of my colleagues on the council and partner with them on something because there was enough you know, things we do here that there's something we had in common. And I was able to do that with most of
0: them. Uh, thanks, go ahead. No, yeah, no, because that goes right into what I was gonna ask next being the only green party member on the council i mean how well do you work with other members of the council like is it always the rest of the council versus you or are you in agreement with certain other members more than others or does it just vary case by case
1: well it varies a lot i think it's changed over time too so you know this is my Fourth term, so there's I've worked with different um, councils, and generally speaking, I think it was more um, conservative or cautious uh, or right leaning. I don't know what the right words are when um, I got in. In fact, the, because it's a one party town, you'll notice within that one large party, there's um, a lot of variety in terms of the viewpoints and values and priorities that elected officials might have. I think sometimes there's the idea that you can't possibly get elected if you don't aren't endorsed by that party or part of that party because they're so powerful in the city. Um, so, generally speaking, um, there's enough common ground somewhere across the spectrum. You know, I even wa- I wanted to strengthen rental licensing and protect tenants, and early on that was even something that was pretty popular. Getting you know working with to prevent bad landlords from having dangerous housing was something that, that was common sense to a lot of people and made sense so I could partner with somebody who wouldn't wanna partner with me on other things. Like at that time, we were talking about peak oil and climate change and people weren't, that wasn't so popular then and they didn't look at it. So one technique was picking out some things to work with folks on. Um, I also knew I don't have seven votes for one authorities. I had to build coalitions just to get anything done. Um, I would work hard to make my case. I remember I lost some pretty big things early on. Um, some of them I brought back later and was able to get them passed. Uh, and so that was significant. Another thing I discovered was when something was popular, even if at the beginning it didn't look like it made sense to my colleagues, there was kind of a... Um, Fourteenth council member, if you will, or maybe the fifteenth, uh, because there's the mayor out there, or the, which was public pressure. And so, if if it's an idea that was popular, even if it didn't seem like it made sense at first, um, people would come on board because they realized, oh, this is the constituents like it, and maybe it is good for the city. I remember I worked a lot with the mayor at the time on a urban agriculture and local foods initiative because commercial growing of food was banned in the city. You know, back in the 60s, farming was outlawed. Oh, wow. Yep, and in fact, um, you, could keep, um, you could keep chickens, um, but there were lots of rules around it. Um, and we expanded the rules of where you could keep chickens and beehives. And then we came up with an, uh, a plan on how to open the city up again to urban agriculture so people could have market gardens and smaller gardens. And even in industrial areas grow more and aquaponics. And at first that there was lots of opposition and concern about that um, in terms of how messy it's gonna be. We can't have like greenhouses in our empty lots all over. And even though in Detroit at the time, things were, you know, it it was being done in other cities but it became clearer and clearer that, well, this is popular and it can be done. So the wall of opposition slowly, melted away as work continued on this and we ended up um, changing a lot of the rules and now we can you can even grow um, you can even have somebody from who doesn't live in your house uh, using some of your land to grow some food that they might sell later somewhere else and we came up with lots of different models that people have been trying and we have aquaponics indoor kind of growing that's going on with fish and lots of creative things but that's just an example of how as the idea catches on and you keep put, pre- presenting it and putting it forward, you can make a lot of progress. We actually had the same thing happen when I was um, trying to point out the racial disparities in the city and I focused on unemployment rates and, and took a long gap, but we have traction. Now we even have an office of um, race and equity, which um, has been pushing us Um, forward and that was another idea whose time had kind of come and now that has got a lot of support in the city and we're trying to do more across the board so that was um, one thing and sometimes I'd be a lone voice voting no and still doing that and being in the opposition it was a balancing act a little bit um, because I had some in the greens and some who weren't part of the mainstream two parties saying "Um, you've got to be louder and you've got to be angrier, and you've got to be more of the opposition party, you're the only one up there who can call them out on all their shenanigans. Um, but I'd also have to answer to my constituents and say, I oh, yes, I can be effective and look, we are, you know, um, cities improving and you're getting, the needs are being met, you know, there's lots of things that go on in terms of road construction and lighting and, and safety issues in the ward that people are concerned about and want to see that I can be effective. So um, I, I think you should remember that um, the hiring committee is your constituents and they are, you know, looking for you to represent them well. And that's kind of a um, sacred duty that you have when you get elected is to do that. So you have to balance that with everything else.
0: Wow. And yeah, you did mention an example there, like the gardens and being able to grow things again in the city and bringing that back. So that's progress. And that's something that, hey, was done because what I was going to ask next is, yeah, when one does look at the Green Party platform, yeah, there are some things that are that require action mainly on a federal level, whether it's Medicare for all or you know, issues of war and peace and trade deals and to stay out of and things of that nature. But there's also the environment, social justice, civil liberties, labor, infrastructure, housing, uh, poverty, and so on. And those types of issues could be dealt with at all levels, federal, state or local. So, you know, while not, not everyone on the local level may directly relate to an ideology or platform, not everything that is made, because there's some things like, you know, just keeping the streets plowed, you know, just basic things, keeping the, the lights running, you know, things that are, that are nothing to do with party per se, but just things just to keep things running. And of course, you know, that's where a lot of people come in most agreement but are there any more examples of when you did apply the Green Party's values or platform to best serve your ward and the city of Minneapolis?
1: Yeah, there are probably a lot of uh, examples, um, maybe I can share a few. Uh, I would so there's four key values with the Green Party that I um ran on and you know they have a longer platform and they have 10 values but social and economic justice grassroots democracy um, peace and, and nonviolence, um, and uh, environmental sustainability or ecological wisdom are the four big ones so i would often um, bring those up again and point to initiatives in those areas um, we did a, a lot around um, social and economic justice and i pushed a lot forward there the whole racial equity um, lens and trying to look at things from a framework we passed a resolution declaring institutional racism a problem in the city of Minneapolis and committed to leading by example um, partly because we were a bad example by and large and we still aren't that good and um, I realized that telling people what they should be doing and trying to hold them accountable, which we still try to do through our civil rights department and other things, but wouldn't have as much traction as us actually um, getting our own act together and then being a model and saying, hey, we tried this and it worked. So we've done a lot in that area, but also in the social and economic justice, maybe a really crystal clear example would be um, raising the minimum wage um, in the city of Minneapolis which seems like a national issue, and it is a federal issue and a state issue, but um, some localities have raised the minimum wage and it became an idea here eventually whose time had come at first. Not too many people, I remember during that one campaign wanted to commit with, to the idea of $15 an hour, but I committed to it, pushed it forward and we ultimately got it done with a groundswell of, of community support. Um, And that became something that people thought, like some policymakers thought, well, that can't be done. That's not our role, we're city government. Um, But once they saw how popular it is and the the movement to do it, they um, got on board and we did it. We ended up making a lot of compromises. We still haven't got our minimum wage to 15 because it's going up a little bit every year. But I think next year, the bigger companies will be there. So that's an example. Another example um, in terms of the um, peace and nonviolence, um, several years ago, um, we started looking at youth violence and the the number one um, cause of death for a, a male in the city of Minneapolis between the ages of 18 and 24 was homicide, which is alarming but you also realize that's a healthy age group, but you'd still think it's accidents or injuries or some kind of disease and you'd want it not to be homicides. So we actually, and it was a Green who was in office before me who was working on this and then she didn't get reelected and I came in and kind of took that up. And we have a health department here that was really promoting, looking at um, violence, youth violence in particular, through the lens of a public health expert And so we were able to create a youth violence prevention plan, um, a public health plan about it, about how we could prevent it, how we could address it and we could do that. And I think that was pretty significant. And yet at first it seemed like talking about peace is a, you know, that's not a local issue, but it absolutely is a local issue. And now we're actually seeing as we're looking for alternatives to the police response to everything, we're now trying to look at violence in general, um, and this has actually expanded. Our Office of Youth Violence Prevention has now become just an Office of Violence Prevention. We have more staff working to do that as an, uh, a way we can prevent violence and get ahead of things. And that was really significant. Um, I, I could mention uh, maybe two more really quickly. Um, you go for it. All right. One of the things that Minneapolis was, some people were really interested in doing here was changing our voting system. We had winner take all elections. In fact, that's how I got elected, um, which is the standard. You know, that's how presidents are elected and most governors all over. I think maybe one state's looking has an alternative now. But we um, were able to get ranked choice voting um, implemented in the city of Minneapolis, which was kind of a green idea. That's a kind of grassroots democracy, better voting systems, and open things up a little more, improve campaigns. We actually did away with our primary which was a runoff and we do we now do ranked choice voting so nice. that was a significant win which is aligned with the greens and was probably spearheaded by um, the greens the last thing is um, having to do with the environment um, i was very interested and still am in um, public ownership of our utility companies our electric company our gas company in minnesota there's monopolies that are granted to them by the state so we actually Started a drive to municipalize, they call it, because they allow that in the city. Um, I mean, in the state here, for cities to do that. Um, and they can own their utility company, just like we own our water utility in Minneapolis. The city provides all the clean water um, to all the homes. I think that's kind of accepted as a public thing that a lot of cities do and provide, um, counties and government. But we don't do that with electricity and we don't do it with natural gas and I think we should get more involved. We actually lost the effort to municipalize we didn't get something on the ballot because in this in the state here you need a ballot initiative to do that. Um, We weren't able to get the signatures or the votes. But it made us uh, and the council want to do something because they saw this movement towards it and they saw the concern about dirty energy and fossil fuels and climate change. It was growing in in acceptance and now it's a climate crisis. We've declared it a public health emergency in the city and we have created a um, clean energy partnership with the utility companies. We have a climate action plan and we have a... um, clean energy vision and goals. And so we're still kind of fighting the fight and we're trying to get the utility companies to convert to clean energy. Um, and I haven't given up altogether and some time owning more of it. And in fact, now rules are changed. So the city does have um, solar uh, arrays in variety of places where they have like ownership of part of the um, you, you know energy generation at least, and I think we're gonna expand in those areas. So those are some things that, you, that um, I've been able to get done, um, not by myself, partly because I'm joining larger coalitions and larger movements to do it, and partly because they are seen as popular and that they make
0: sense. No, definitely, and you know, a lot of times, coalitions is the way to go to make it happen because even outside of your party, there could be others who, you know, when it comes to every issue, by issue, yeah, there's not going to be full agreement, but there'll be certain ones where there is agreement, and that's when it's time to team up and make a coalition and make it happen, and yeah, and, and it's uh, congratulations on getting that ranked choice voting going on. Um, this podcast's most recent episode before this one was about ranked choice voting, and other Greens that I interviewed last year would mention ranked choice voting and how that's a great idea and how that may be the only way for some of that them to get elected is to have something like that in place. So it's good to see that you have it in place where you are and uh, congratulations on getting all that through along with the solar panels and everything you've been doing well. And I know in Minneapolis last year, all eyes were on Minneapolis in America and even throughout the world because of that incident involving uh, Derek Chauvin and George Floyd. And uh, so, you know, a lot of people went by, you know, what they saw on the news, even afterwards, you know, the whole reaction and everything. But I, what, what would you say, what was it like, you know, not only being in Minneapolis during all that, but even serving on the city council during that entire time?
1: Well, that was incredibly challenging. It was, uh, I'd say horrendous. I, um, I've lived in Minneapolis all my life, and I would say uh, 2020 was the worst year in the history that I'm aware of, and maybe the worst year ever. I mean, there's been some um, horrific things that have happened to the city before I was born and, and all of that. So I can't really say that, but um, it was um, city government kind of failed the people. So I actually felt like um, I hadn't been able to Um, deliver on what I should and the responsibilities that I have. Um, One of the key things we want to do is protect people. And obviously uh, we weren't protecting George Floyd. Um, And it was horrendous seeing him killed by a city employee. Um, Now we've had um, police killings in the past and there's been reactions, but never anything like this. I think that video was so graphic and clear and so widespread that, um, that just the horror of it all and kind of the torturous um, death um, was evident to everybody. Uh, and so yeah. really galvanized folks and they came out and they were outraged. And then I think the response to the civil unrest um, was very disappointing. I think the police actually escalated uh, the situation. I was at the protest um, before it turned violent. I ended up going home before it got dark, but I, my um, I aide and many people I knew stayed there and I've heard the stories of it and I've watched it. On, there was live, uh, you know, Unicorn Ride and others were presenting. So I monitored it. And then I even went back later that evening. Um, it, it was very close to my house, the third precinct. Um, and actually um, where George Floyd was murdered isn't that far away either. Um, But during the civil unrest and during the fires, it even got too dangerous. Our fire chief said that the uh, fire trucks couldn't respond to fires there because things would be thrown at them and it was too dangerous for them. Oh, wow. The police weren't going into some areas. So that's when it was like the failure of government was really evident. Because one of the primary responsibilities, I think, of city government is to be there when people need you and they're investing in paying for 911 response and fire response and paramedics. And we had a part of our city that we couldn't even um, get into to help folks. Um, So that um, was clearly we needed more help. And the next day we have National Guard and we kind of got control of the situation and we were um, able to respond, but still the response wasn't um, maybe that great for a few weeks because there was so much going on. And at night um, there'd be more civil unrest and more looting turned violent and fires. So very challenging, very difficult. Um, I um, was out there every day and every night. Um, My block, we had a block watch group going and all over the area people did. So they were getting to know each other, watching out for one another. Um, Many people those few nights stayed up late at night. So there was somebody on the block who was awake just in case there's something they thought was gonna happen to them or their nearby businesses getting destroyed. People um, helped protect their grocery stores, Um, pharmacies were being looted quite dramatically, um, and those things. So that was a difficult time. It was also pretty amazing um, that there was some kind, an awakening maybe, an awakening to the injustice or an awakening to the racist system that was evident Um, We had other police killings, but we never had a response from so many people across the whole city that we need to fix something. Uh, You know, this is broken. Um, We can't tolerate this. So I think uh, people have referred to it as kind of a great awakening um, that we really do need to dig deep and and restructure the way we do public safety, the way we do criminal justice. So I think that's very powerful. Also, I talked to a lot of people who talk about how they were brought closer together on their block and in their neighborhood during that time. Um, And so that was uh, very significant. I will say that as that um, calmed down, so there was a a lot of um, anxiety and worry about the trials that happened in Minneapolis, too. Um, Derek Chauvin was on trial. Um, when he was found guilty of all charges, there was a great relief. You could almost feel in the whole city. Mm. Um, and, and we had National Guard who were in the city throughout the trial. There was also another police killer in a suburb, and we had more riots and looting following that. Um, so even in the time, we just want to express my gratitude to people throughout the country, and even throughout the world, because during that time um, I was getting emails and letters, but I also know many people were thinking of Minneapolis, they were pulling for Minneapolis. They were cheering us on as it looked like we were doing things to improve and transform things. They were probably also feeling a great sense of relief when it seemed like, at least to the Floyd family, there was some kind of justice. I mean, George Floyd will never come back, but the trial ended with a conviction, um, and so um, I, I just appreciated it. And I would get packets of ideas, websites, and links to here's how you could reform public safety. Why don't you try this idea with your police force? Hey, this has worked over here for us as an alternative. So, um, did you you know hear what they're doing in this city or that city, um, even across the across the world? Um, and I think that just people care about one another and we care about things. So the awakening maybe was bigger than, um, and of course, Brianna Taylor was happening that around that time too, and that awareness. We, since then, I'm not sure how much momentum we still have though, and I worry. Remember that the presidential uh, election year was happening then, Minneapolis kind of became a Those kind of terms, or law and over, I guess, um, and more law enforcement, um, and so we have a divide, and that's been a challenge as somebody in government. Is where do we come together to take our next steps? I think we found some. We actually um, approved a budget that's creating a, a fourth response to nine one one calls now, a behavioral crisis response team that are unarmed, and they'll be available um, twenty four hours a day, all every day of the year. Um, To respond to a mental health crisis as it's identified through the 911 call, and of course, if they arrive at a scene and it isn't safe, just like a paramedic might, they can call for somebody else to come and help secure the scene. But I think that's hopeful. So that's a step we took together. It came out of that something tangible. We've actually got um, the federal government looking at our police department. Um, We've got the state government who's taken us to court um, to. So we have a lot of people pulling for us and trying to figure out how we can improve public safety here. And now we have a charter amendment coming up in November that would change the charter. So it would remove the police department and create a new broader department of public safety. And if that passes, I think that'll tell the government here and me that people wanna see bigger changes and we need to keep working harder on this.
0: Excellent, excellent. So it's good to see that uh... Some progress and change has happened since then, and hopefully it continues to go in that direction. And what advice would you give someone who is running for office, whether as a green or an independent or or any other party for that matter that is not Democrat or Republican?
1: Yes, and probably this could apply to anybody who's running for office, but one of the big things that I think is important is to um, get to know uh, your community. Um, maybe think about where you're gonna live years ahead of time before you run and wanna live. find a community that you think resonates with um, maybe your values or your approach to the world or something like that. Um, but also um, get involved in your local community, get to know folks. Um, see if there's things you can work on to improve it. Uh, One, that will build up some credibility uh, in you among the community if they see you out there caring and doing things, even joining a neighborhood organization or some nonprofit. Um, Also, um, make sure that you actually, I don't know how to say this right, but um, I think it's really important that you authentically um, care about the people that live in the area you're going to represent. I think that's really critically important. And so um, build kind of an um, empathy for your neighbors and your constituents or future constituents out there. Um, that makes a big difference. It'll also make it so you actually want to do a good job and you're able to do a good job if you have that um, kind of authentic care and concern. Um, I think it's um, important to find out whether or not you like the kind of work. So president of my neighborhood organization structure, I was also very involved in my party beforehand. And part of government work is sitting through meetings, sifting through information, listening to people a whole lot, and at least if you're a green and if you're me, it's also kind of molding consensus or looking for it, finding out where there's agreement and how you can you know, solve a problem in a way that's gonna work for people. And if you don't actually like that kind of work and you're not good at that kind of work, um, you should you know, think carefully about whether you wanna run for office and actually get involved in that. I think doing the work can be a lot different than doing the campaign, um, but those are, that's some of the advice I would give people, get involved in your community, um, try to make a difference, see if you're effective at that, care about the, the people you're gonna represent, develop a relationship and see if it's a, if, if, if that um, is affirming to you and what you do, and then re- figure out if you really like to kind of work that whatever office you're running for will be, um, and, and then make the decision uh, to run. And then running your race, I think it's really important that you spend a lot of time with your voters, getting to know them and letting them get to know you. So I'm an advocate of retail politics, person to person. I think it makes a big difference.
0: Excellent, excellent. And is there anything you'd like to plug?
1: Um, well, I'll keep pulling from Minneapolis over here. We still have a struggle to go. I also um, really have a deep belief that uh, multi-party democracies work well, and I don't know how we're gonna open up the system here. It is such a challenge. I know ranked choice voting is helpful, but if you look at the other countries that have democracies, most of them have some kind of proportional representation. So even when you don't have a majority of the votes, you can at least get a minority of seats maybe in some governmental body. I actually think Minneapolis government would work better if we had a a Republican voice on the council or somebody from other parties even. Um, we actually had a pretty active independence party they call themselves here too. And I'm not sure how we'll change the system to make that work, Uh, but I think getting money out of politics will be really important too. I think we should have more public financing options available to folks and maybe more limits and restrictions I have to say that the treating corporations like people and allowing all these independent expenditures um, without having to disclose them, I think is really hurting our democracy a great deal. Um, And so I wanna put in a plug for anybody who's working um, to help fix that and overturn um, court decisions or amend uh, our constitution so we can get the money out of politics would be great too.
0: All right, excellent, and if and where can people go if they're interested in learning more about your campaign or helping your re-election campaign?
1: Yeah, speaking of, um, yeah, anything I wanna promote, I'm running for re-election, and I have a website, www.camgordon.org. People can go there, um, they can learn more about um, me, the campaign, and they can also contribute. Um, we've got, um, we're on the home stretch now. I've actually got um, four challengers who are gonna be on the ballot. So it's quite a race um, and um, I'll be working hard and I can use all the help I
0: can get. Oh, wow, yeah, definitely. And yeah, best of luck. I mean, you've won before, you've hung in there for quite a while and uh, let's hope uh, the success continues. Thank you very much,
1: I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, definitely. So thank you again for being on the show. And yeah, I mean, best best of luck. November. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Definitely. Great day. You too. Well, there you have it. Anyone who tells you that only Democrats or Republicans can win clearly has no idea what they're talking about, as Cam Gordon has repeatedly proven them wrong. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to listen to more of them. You can find Get Yours today on many podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just to name a couple. Till next time, peace out.